Happy Sunday, everybody. Uh, this is Daniel Wallach, the co-host of Conduct Detrimental, along with Michael Lawson, uh, producer of Conduct Detrimental, as well as an associate at O'Connell and Aronowitz. We've decided to start, a, or at least have a special Sunday episode devoted to sports betting. We don't have the name of a, of a podcast, but we kind of call this sports betting industry roundup. And the reason why we're recording on Sunday is that tomorrow, Monday, April 4th, are two very important deadlines in two of the largest states in the country to either introduce or amend sports betting bills. And the Georgia legislature is on the clock until tomorrow. And the New York legislature and the governor had an April 1st deadline to finalize the New York state budget and they're overdue. But constitutionally, I believe that there's a Monday end of day, actual real deadline. And we're gonna find out whether, whether there are any changes are in store for New York's online sports betting framework. And that's just a couple, or those are just a couple of the issues we're gonna to cover today on Sports Betting Industry Roundup. Uh, Michael, how are you? What are we, uh, what are we gonna to cover today? We got, we got a couple of key states at issue. I'm good, Dan, I'm good. Yes, we, we definitely have some big topic issues that you were talking about. Obviously, Georgia and New York are at the top of our list, um, especially with their deadlines. New York has been all over uh, the place with their legalization. We're going to talk about their uh, their court of appeals uh, ruling on daily fantasy sports. But we also have some Buffalo Bills news and the, and the public funding with Buffalo Bills and their new stadium. Um, and then we're also going to cover Kansas and Missouri and their, how close they are to their legalization of sports gambling, to, gambling too. So it's a, it's a, a packed, packed issue a topic uh, for, for sports gambling all over the place. Well, we wanted to cover Kansas and Missouri because those two states are keeping a watchful eye on one another. It, it's seemingly a race to see which one gets to launch first, which one will have the better of the two tax rates. They're definitely paying attention to what the other state does. And as I pointed out on Twitter, uh, you know, if this, is, this could be a good opportunity for sports betting proponents in both states, because if one passes, so too will the other one. And I believe both states have already approved sports betting measures out of one chamber of the state legislature. And now it kicks over to the second house within their respective state legislatures. And I think we're going to have legal sports betting in Kansas, Missouri, but maybe not in Georgia. So we're going to lead off with the state of Georgia, whose legislative session ends on Monday, April 4th. And to this point, there, the state legislature is seemingly all over the map uh, with 24 hours left to go in the deadline. At least to me, there seem to be many fundamental differences between what yeah. the Georgia Senate and what the Georgia House want to accomplish with sports betting. I'm going to I'm going to pitch it right back to you when it comes to the differences here, but let's just set it up for a bit. So Georgia came very close last year. Right. We we, we saw the expiration uh, of their deadline on last year's um, session uh, deadline, which was March 31st of 2021. We saw the bill that was proposed in March of last year, and then they, the the deadline expired on March 31st of 2021 for their legalization. Uh, we saw there was some political tension that really took precedent in Georgia. Um, so at this point, what we have now is the developments coming from the last year. So we have Republican Ron Stevens, who is really forging ahead. He's really making sure that we have um, that he wants that, that Georgia has a legalization of sports gambling. 
Uh, and like you said, we have that right now, even though the deadline is tomorrow, we have a lot of differences going back and forth between the House and the Senate. So, so Dan, can you talk about, I think one of the biggest issues right now is we have this number of licenses and they're, they're kind of far apart. They're not that close. The number of licenses between the two, the House wants to have a, a nine by nine, 18 overall, where we have nine that are kind of tethered to pro teams, and then you have nine that are untethered. Uh, and then the Senate is, is stuck on a number that's far below that being six licenses. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I want to take a step back for a second. What's interesting about Georgia, Kansas, Missouri, and New York, uh, just to show how far we've come with, with the legalization of sports betting. Originally, in the, in the first year after PASPA was overturned, focus was on casinos and racetracks and maybe state lotteries. But these four states, New York, Kansas, Missouri, Georgia, have provisions in place to allow the professional sports teams within those states to operate either online sports betting or to have uh, in-stadium you know, sports betting or in-stadium kiosks. That's almost unprecedented, but now in 2021 or 22, that's now becoming the norm with Maryland, Arizona, um, you know, Washington, DC, Illinois, it's almost like the guiding principle going forward now that if there's a way in and Ohio and Maryland as well, that, that, that the teams are now picking up the mantle from the professional sports leagues, which were seeking royalties and other types of direct benefits at the league level. And with the exception of official league data mandates, the leagues weren't successful in convincing any state legislature to give them a direct cut of the, of the action. So instead, what I see taking place to fill that void and to give the sports industry stakeholders direct economic participation is to be able to get the licenses themselves, even if they're not the actual license holders and, and, and their designees, the license holder in, in, in substantial part, in large part, the teams are going to control sports betting licenses in each of these states. So let's let's go back. Let's start with Georgia, because I think Georgia is uh, running into like less than 24 hours from now. We're going to find out one way or the other whether sports betting will become legal in Georgia, and if so, what it will look like. And I don't want to get anyone's hopes up too high because, uh, you know, my, my friend, uh, a colleague that I've known in the gaming industry, Jeremy Kudon, who's the a lobbyist for DraftKings, FanDuel, and the professional sports leagues, one of his favorite expressions is that state legalizations of, of gambling bills and sports betting bills are like Hall of Fame candidates. There are very few first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, Georgia is, I believe, on the third year of trying. So, uh, you know, maybe Georgia, you know, might, might make the Veterans Committee by the time all this is done. But the problem with Georgia is that lawmakers have tried to expand gambling every year for the past quarter of a century. And it's a conservative state. It's still a blue, uh, still a red state, uh, extremely conservative politically. Uh, and there's just general anti-gambling sentiment in the, in the Georgia uh, Senate. No gambling expansion bill has been passed by the state legislature since 1992. So if you're handicapping the race here, you're looking at Okay, conservative state, nothing passed in a quarter of a century. Uh, all these differences between the various bills and only one day left in the legislative session, uh, it's not really going out on a limb here to say, Georgia's probably not gonna get it done by tomorrow, but let, let's, let's highlight some of these differences, Michael. Uh, you, you highlighted that the bill from last year, which I believe was uh, proposed by the Senate, 
included a minimum of six online sports betting licenses. It wasn't a cap. It wasn't uh, an, an outer restriction. It was a minimum of six. It could be 15. It could be 20, 25. But what the House amendment did, and I believe the ha House committee approved an amendment that would create 18 licenses, nine, half of which that would go to Georgia's professional sports teams, and the other nine of which would be untethered, meaning anybody could apply for them you know, within reason. And we know who's going to be the typical applicants. Those licenses are going to go to DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, and, and all the, you know, all the- Caesars, BetRivers, PointsBets. Yeah, yeah, go down the line. But nine yeah. is a very small amount when you consider all the would-be online sports betting operators that want to get into the various jurisdictions. And in New York, they have, they have nine and it's still not enough. You, you have Bet365, look on the outside looking in, you have Fanatics. So- it's problematic in that the house version allows for more licenses, but it's a cap on the number of licenses where the Senate version had a starting point of six licenses without any, uh, without any cap or limit on the number of, of, of operators that can become licensed. So that, that's one fundamental difference. What do you think about you know, that kind of divide? I mean, I think it could be bridged but it's still a significant difference between the two proposals. I think it is. And I think, the, I think the, the significant factor of it is the, is being tethered to the sports teams, right? The six is, is the minimum that you said, like, and it also kind of caters to what we're going to talk about next, the differences that they have between the tax rates of, of each license. Um, but at the same time, you have all the pro teams coming out of, you know, Atlanta and Georgia um, and the house wanted to make sure, I think that's what you were just talking about. That the fact that these sports, these sports franchises wanted to get a cut of it. And that was, that was the house kind of catering to that, where they were going to tether them to those pro teams, giving them the licenses um, yeah. versus the Senate, which is just doing a, a, the, your probably your typical bid process where we're going to talk about, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Caesars, well, no, they're going to come in. It's going to be bidding. It's going to be a specified tax rate in the Senate version at 16%, the House version at 20%. It just, you know, the bidding or, or the qualification to determine who gets the licenses is going to be six, is it going to be eight, is it going to be 10? I think that's kind of a low barrier to entry. If you're one of the major operators, you're going to get it. And, and, on, the, and on the tethering portion, you got to remember something about Georgia. They do not have horse race track betting. There are no horse race tracks in Georgia. There are no casinos in Georgia. This is sort of like open terrain for the professional sports teams in that state to write the rules of the road, just like what we saw a year ago, where the Texas sports betting proposal would have granted sports betting licenses to all the all of Texas's professional sports franchises, online sports betting licenses, as well as in stadium sports books. And the reason why those asks are occurring in Texas and Georgia is that there's no in-state competition. There are no casinos. Uh, in Georgia, there are no racetracks. In Texas, there are very few racetracks. There's no competition, and the leagues and the teams are not going to get the same kind of pushback on the licensing entitlement that they might, for example, get in Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey, which are dominated by the uh, casino industry. And I think that's another reason why this is more unlikely that it's not going to happen within the next 24 hours, because 
we're talking about just the differences in number of licenses, haven't even talked about the tax rate issue yet either, but we have the issue that there is no casinos, right? So do these include casino gambling? They're talking about there would be some sort of legislative amendment on top of these bills later on to include paramutual betting and casino gambling, whether or not that actually happens. I feel like Georgia's throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks because then they're talking about constitutional amendments where they need a two third majority vote and then further legislative action later on with it that would just need a minority vote for the amendments. Mike, you hit on the biggest obstacle that I feel stands in the way of legalized sports betting. The House is trying to take on too much in an anti-gambling state right. or generally a, a state that has some reservations about gambling expansion. Don't try to shoehorn casino gambling, paramutual betting and sports betting into a single proposed constitutional amendment and then write the rules later. Let's focus on sports betting. I think the, the Senate bill was very sports betting. It was sports betting focused, whereas the House at the 11th hour, literally 24 hours now from the deadline, are now including a proposal to amend the state constitution to allow Number one, sports betting. Number two, casino gambling. And number three, paramutual betting on horse racing. The Senate, I believe it was the Senate that just turned down paramutual betting on horse racing uh, you know, a week or two weeks ago. So why is the House trying to pair sports betting with, uh, with all these other forms of gambling? And if I'm, a, if I'm in the Senate and I have some concerns about gambling expansion, I don't want to give uh, you know, I don't want to have sort of a rubber stamp or at least a blank slate on casino gambling or paramutual betting without knowing what the rules of the road are. And the House bill that accompanies the proposed constitutional amendment only has specifics on the issue of online sports betting, but there are no specifics with regard to casino gambling and paramutual betting, even though they've proposed a constitutional amendment that would include the allowance of casino gambling and sports betting. So there's a, a lack of symmetry between the constitutional amendment bill and the implementation bill, which both have to be approved by the legislature at the same time this year. I mean, they're trying to basically say, let's pass the constitutional amendment now and worry about you know implementing casino gambling and, and horse race betting a year from now. I don't think that's gonna work in a state that hasn't had any significant gambling expansion in almost 30 years. That's a bridge too far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's that's exactly the, that's the biggest point of contention right now is, is why would you try to sneak in a lot of those things where they've been talking about sports gambling? And like you said, the Senate has already turned down uh, the paramutual aspect of it. So it, it doesn't seem to me, at least when I was looking through all this, it does not seem to me that a deal is going to be done, that they're going to have uh, anything agreed upon before this deadline. Yeah, I'm not a big proponent of using the constitutional amendment process when it's unnecessary. Uh, in, in, under the Georgia Constitution, there's a ban on casino gambling, there's a ban on paramutual betting, and there's a ban on lotteries. There's no ban on sports betting. Sports betting does not fit within the categorization of any of those things. But I understand that the legislature wants to have sort of passing the buck to the electorate and not face the political accountability or consequences from voting in favor of some type of gambling expansion, but they don't even need to do it. This can be done legislatively because sports wagering is it's a game of skill. It's uh, tied to events that are outside of casinos. It has nothing to do with casino gambling. And, and, and on top of that, there's a carve out in the state constitution to allow the state run lottery to operate games like this. So even if it qualified as a game of chance that would be otherwise banned by the state constitution, the fact that the lottery has the constitutional authority to run these types of games, 
I think would have made for a cleaner bill, have it passed just in, in by a bare majority vote. Instead, they're going this uphill, longer, two-tiered route of needing to get two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the House to approve this and then pass it along to the electorate. Uh, I think this is a big deal to get sports betting legal in, in, in Georgia. Georgia is the eighth largest state. And I've been to that airport. Have you ever been in the Atlanta airport with all this downtime? God, it would be amazing to be able to have the ability to make internet-based sports wagers. And this is the world's largest, I think this hemisphere's largest commuter airport, uh, Atlanta, Georgia is one of those giant sleeper states for online sports betting due to its population size and uh, you know, air travel and all the millions of people who go through that airport with this downtime on your hands with uh, nothing to do except to go to the food court. I've certainly had layovers there, so I, I know what you're talking about. There's the, the you you could be in there for for quite a while, a couple hours at least. Um, so I, I definitely can see that. So well, it's a I no. think it's not going to pass. Uh, do you feel any differently? I mean, I think we need to predict uh, yeah, what we no. see here. My my prediction is no. I, I agree with you. I, I I just don't. There's too much in the way. There's too much being thrown at the wall at the same time. Where I think you're right. You you hit it right on the head. If they had just come together and, and formed something that exclusively was about sports gambling and didn't include paramutual, didn't include constitutional amendments, didn't include casino gambling, it, it would have been a lot easier for them to come to some sort of uh, middle ground. Doesn't At that point, it doesn't matter what the sports gambling aspects, di- their differences between licenses and tax rates and stuff like that. They can't come to an agreement on on the other constitutional amendments of casino gambling, paramutual with horse racing. So it's not going to, it's just going to bog down the fact that they could have come to an agreement with sports gambling. All right. So I'm going to be looking for nonstop flights and bypass uh, the Atlanta airport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No more. Except no more. When I, go, Atlanta except when I go to Mississippi to attend the gaming conference in uh, Gulfport. Where is it? Gulf? No, it's Biloxi, Mississippi. I go to the Southern gaming summit many years and I have to travel through Atlanta. So if I'm going to Mississippi, I guess that will be the one and only time I have to go through the Georgia airport. So anyway, what do we have up next? We're only one quarter of the way through. And uh, right. you know, I think there are a couple of other states that are equally worthy of discussion. Yeah, we definitely want to hit. I think next we talked about the the rivalry between uh, Kansas and Missouri right now, how close both of them are to their legalization of, of sports gambling. Um, we obviously we'd be remiss to, to mention the fact that Kansas has the uh, national championship game coming up. Uh, Kansas basketball is is facing UNC. So that that is a, a big opportunity or I guess a missed opportunity. And it'd be the fact that they don't have the legalization. So, uh, Dan, give a give a rundown of, of the, the, the competitiveness between Kansas and Missouri uh, and, and the fact that. Both of them are kind of playing off of each other, and it's they both have like I think you mentioned right in the right from the start they both have had uh, at least one house you know one party uh, agree to to the sports gambling bill, uh, and at this point they're just waiting to see uh, it, it go forward. But they have less of a deadline. Uh, but I know that Missouri has an April sixth hearing um, where they're going to talk about this. So uh, what do you have for us, Dan? Yeah, uh, you know, Missouri has a has a hearing coming up this week. They have until April, uh, May 13th before the legislative session ends. And, you know, this notion that one house of the legislature has already passed a sports betting bill. What I'm finding is that uh, there's a disconnect in almost every state legislature between the House and the Senate or between the Senate and the General Assembly. It's almost commonplace to have states authorize or at least pass a sports betting bill out of one 
chamber of the legislature. And then the other chamber is the big problem. I mean, New York has had the New York State Senate approving sports betting going back three years, and it could never get to a vote in the assembly. Uh, Massachusetts House of Representatives has already approved a sports betting bill, and it's not even getting to a floor debate yet in the Senate. So, um, you know, consider, uh, call me not exactly convinced that just because Kansas and Missouri have achieved uh, approval from one house of their state respective state legislatures, that now the you know, momentum is in favor of legalization. Because I think in those two states, especially within Missouri, there's a strong political dynamic uh, between the house and, and the Senate. And for, for the past couple of years, while there was a lot of interest in passing a sports betting bill in Missouri, it got hung up on the issue of regulation of video lottery terminals. In New York State, the state lottery is allowed to have these video lottery terminals at various facilities. In Missouri, the casino industry, there I think there were 13 or so casinos, they are dead set against any notion of regulating these VLTs for the benefit of the lottery. And the reason why that has entered the discussion for sports betting is that the chief proponent of sports betting in previous years is a state senator by the name of Denny Hoskins. And over the prior two legislative sessions, Senator Hoskins has paired the issue of sports wagering with video lottery terminal regulations. So just as Georgia lawmakers are trying to sort of shoehorn in these disparate types of gambling into one omnibus bill. Uh, the efforts have fallen short in Missouri because the casino industry has been opposed to any sports wagering bill that allows these types of slot machine style games to also be legalized and operated at, at truck stops and gas stations all over the state because that's going to cannibalize the traffic that goes to these land-based casinos. So in 2022, we now have the first time in Missouri's attempt at legalizing sports betting of having separate bills for VLTs and sports betting legalization. And for that reason, sports betting, I believe, sailed through the House of Representatives at a shockingly low tax rate of 8%. Now, contrast that with New York, which has a 51% tax rate. Georgia, which has proposed tax rates of either 16% or 20%, Missouri is on the low end of the spectrum of 8%. And the reason they've chosen 8% is that they're looking next door at what Kansas is doing. There's this uh, you know, battle, this interstate rivalry between Kansas and Missouri, and they're watching what the other does. So if one has a low tax rate, the other is going to try to undercut it. And if the other launches sports betting or passes a bill, well, certainly Missouri is going to be doing that. And I think this dynamic of trying to outgun or outdo the next, the, the, the adjacent state is for the first time in the history of this like three-year post-passport process, we're truly having the action by one state have a channeling effect on what another state does. And, and for three years, I've been decrying New York's absence from online sports betting by pointing to the results in New Jersey. And that hasn't swayed or that had not swayed Governor Andrew Cuomo for close to three years. But now Missouri and Kansas are the perfect you know, test case or the perfect illustration of the so-called fear of missing out by one state having it and then the next door neighbor not. These two states compete on sports betting. They're competing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a proposal to try to, or at least some rumor 
that the pre that the Kansas City Chiefs would entertain a relocation to the state of Kansas, which may be one reason why sport professional sports franchises are included within the Kansas sports betting bill. So, you know, using that as the setup, even though the sessions are like uh, weeks away from concluding, the fact that they're competing against one another, I think, creates this scenario where if one passes, both are going to pass. And now that each has cleared one chamber of their state legislature, I think this truly is momentum. However, the Senate side of the sports betting debate in Missouri is not marching in lockstep with the Missouri House. The Missouri House has passed an 8% tax rate. The Senate version that has been proposed by Senator Denny Hoskins is asking for 21% tax rate on sports betting revenues. And that's the real big divide between the two states. I think otherwise, you're looking at the casinos getting retail and online sports betting. And you know, three. I think the House version approved three skins a piece for each of the 13 casino facilities. And then any of those facilities which are under common ownership, like if a, an operator owns like two or three casinos, they're capped at six licenses. So the way it's set up is that the sports teams are gonna be allocated six licenses and the casinos are gonna be allocated 33 online sports betting licenses to be divided amongst the 13 facilities. I think if we're gonna compare just to the topic we just talked about, Georgia, right? The difference between why we don't think Georgia is going to pass is exactly why we were talking about the fact that they don't have casino gambling and they don't have, um, you know, horse racing <clears throat> and paramutual betting. But here we already have that, and, and that's incorporated. We have the we have the casino gambling in there being incorporated, so they're not trying to throw that in there. So that's an added difficulty that these two have. And you hit it perfectly. I was going to say the difference between New York and New Jersey. The, the reason is, right, you have Kansas and Missouri, they are neighboring states, and if one passes and the other falls behind, then you have to believe exactly what was happening in New York, where you had people crossing state lines, citizens of, of New York crossing state lines into New Jersey to place their bets, to be geolocated within the boundaries of New Jersey, where it was legal, and then coming back to New York. So, so exactly what you were saying, if Kansas passes it and Missouri doesn't, you have to believe that Missouri residents are going to cross state lines and go into Kansas to make their bets on the Kansas City Chiefs who are within Missouri, right? And then you have, or vice versa. And, and I think I think you made, you made it um, pretty obvious, or clear that the, the incentive of Kansas to incorporate possibly moving Kansas City Chiefs into Kansas because of including the pro teams. Um, so you, there's definitely a, a rivalry between the, the rumors that the Kansas City Chiefs have made about possibly moving. You've got the, you've had the casino licenses, but the tax revenue, the tax revenue is interesting because it, it appears that Missouri with the low tax is going to have such a low threshold for a lot of these teams to come in. I, are they catering? Do you think they're catering to the fact that most of their bets are going to be placed on the Kansas City Chiefs and not taking into account the fact that they have to accommodate the 20, the higher percent that Kansas has? No, I think what's driving this is that in both Kansas and, and Missouri, the casino industry and the sports uh, teams are supportive of the measures. And in Georgia, the sports teams are supportive of, of the Georgia right. bill. Uh, Missouri faced a, had, had a unique, um, you know, I guess agreement between the professional sports teams and the casino industry to sort of agree on a proposed framework because the casinos didn't wanna see the VLTs, the video lottery terminals being proposed and approved and the casino industry enlisted the support of the professional sports teams. So with the sports teams, 
and the casinos backing a sports betting measure in Missouri that all, you know you pretty much eliminated any opposition or organized opposition to sports betting with the exception of maybe the can the Missouri lottery would certainly love to generate the tax revenue that would be created by having VLT machines all over the state of Missouri but I don't think they're that much of a factor here in the in the lobbying and, and in the legislative debate. I think what this is going to come down to is uh, finding a sweet spot on the tax rate. I mean, 21% is kind of high. It has precedent in Tennessee at 20%, Pennsylvania 34%, New York, New Hampshire, 51%. Rhode Island at 51%. So you can point to comparators that have equally high tax rates that are 21% or over, but the median tax rate for online sports betting and the more typical tax rate that you find is somewhere in the neighborhood of the low to mid teens. So I think there's a way to bridge the gap between 8% on the house side. By the way, the, the house measure had been 10% until a, late, a last minute amendment dropped it inexplicably to 8%. So I think there's room between the eight slash 10% and 21%. And I think they land in the middle at uh, somewhere around 51, I'm sorry, at 15%, which is a very healthy tax rate. And it's not budging too far off of either side's uh, tax proposal. And one thing going in, in favor of Missouri is that unlike Georgia, which has to do a, a, a ballot question and a state you know, constitutional amendment, Missouri is just going to be a pure legislative and statutory enactment without the necessity of a voter question. And there are some who might argue that, well, if casinos had to be authorized by the constitutional amendment in Missouri, so too does sports wagering because there's, a, there's language in the Missouri constitution that provides that casino gambling has to take place within a thousand feet of you know, like, you know, some, you know, I guess water, water line, you know, with, with very specific, uh, you, you know, I guess uh, bodies of water mentioned, but casino gambling and sports betting are two different species of gambling. I wrote a, a law review article. It's about to be published in Chapman Law Review, kind of going through all the distinctions between sports betting and casino gambling. And, uh, you know, sports betting is tethered to activities that take place external to a casino environment. It's a skill-based endeavor sports wage, I'm sorry, casino gambling is entirely housed within casino and their games predominantly of chance or luck. And historically, in all these governmental surveys and studies and public opinion polling, sports betting and casino gambling have, have always been viewed as separate and distinct categories of gambling. So I don't think there's a constitutional issue at all in Missouri. It just comes down to the Senate being comfortable with the tax rate and finding you know, some you know, compromise on other areas of disagreement. And I have to think that with Kansas likely to approve sports betting, Missouri is gonna try to you know, hit the ground running first. And they've got more, compli more complications in, in, in launching sports betting in Missouri because there are gonna be 39 online sports betting licenses. There are gonna be 13 properties. And you know, in, in total, there are gonna be in excess of 50 distribution points in Missouri, whereas in Kansas, it's going to be legalized uh, for the four state licensed casinos. It's going to be four lottery gaming facility managers, aka casinos, four casinos that will control retail sports betting. And each of those 
entities will get three online skins. So you're talking about 12 licenses in Kansas versus 50 plus licenses in Missouri. And just if you do the math, the Missouri Gaming Commission, if that's what I think that's what they're called, Missouri Gaming Commission is going to be a lot busier than the Kansas Horse Racing Commission. So if Missouri wants to get out in front of uh, Kansas in terms of a launch date, I think they've got to pass a bill before Kansas does and, and, and have these rules and regulations promulgated, you know, you know, too sweet uh, so that licenses can get issued and sports betting can actually launch in time for the NFL season. So I think Missouri really is, is on the clock because it's too, it's, it's certainly more complicated to launch sports betting in Missouri than it would be in Kansas. Yeah, they definitely, uh, it- there's there's a lot more for Kansas to flesh out, or, or I'm sorry, for Missouri to flesh out versus uh, versus Kansas here. So, um, all right, we, we did it for Georgia. We're going to do it for Kansas and Missouri. Uh, obviously, Kansas and Missouri is not under the gun as Georgia is with the 24 hour kind of deadline that they have. Uh, what do you? What is your prediction, Dan, on Kansas and Missouri having some sort of legalization? I guess within the next couple of months. I mean, Kansas would be a co- very quick turnaround if they try to get everything up and running by the 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 2022 NFL season. That'd be a really really quick turnaround for them. Well, it's still a missed opportunity for Kansas because the uh, NCAA men's basketball championship game is uh, 24 right. hours from now, and they had a chance to pass a bill last year, and they would have been able to you know to reap all the revenues from statewide gambling on the Kansas, you know, final game on Monday night, you know, it's going to take not even God, you know, or a miracle could create legal sports betting in Kansas by tomorrow night. So it's a missed opportunity. Uh, but what both, I, I say yes to both States for several reasons, a lot of momentum uh, on their side, it's already been approved in one house of, of the state legislature of both States, the, the industry, the stakeholders are supportive of the measure. Uh, and there's plenty of time left in the legislative session. I think it's May 20th for Kansas, May 13th for um, Missouri. So I, I think there are some other deadlines where it has to be, you know, delivered by a certain date. But with more than one month left in the legislative session, industry support, um, one house approval, and most importantly, fear and jealousy over the other state getting it and getting it first. I think I would put Kansas and Missouri in the uh, high likelihood slash virtual certainty category of passing a sports betting bill this year and launching in time for the beginning of the NFL regular season of 2022. I certainly have to agree with you there, but maybe I should have pitched a better question. What state is going to pass first? That's the question. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's going to be Kansas. I think it's yeah, going to be I think Kansas so. because of the tax rate difference and the VLT issue in Missouri. I don't think Senator Hoskins has given up on the idea of also legalizing and regulating uh, video lottery terminals for the benefit of the state lottery and capturing all that tax revenue. His his concern is that if you if you pass sports betting alone, it wouldn't generate as many or as much revenue as the VLT legalization would, and that's why he's proposing a twenty one percent tax rate for sports betting, but he truly, truly wants to see both pass because they're not mutually exclusive. However, the casino industry doesn't want the competition from the gas stations and the truck, you know, truck stops. These VLTs are essentially slot machines and you're gonna go from having 13 casinos in Missouri to having essentially 100 de facto casinos. So unless Senator Hoskins backs off and relents on the VLT issue, 
Uh, it's not going to be smooth sailing, but I think ultimately the sports betting measure will pass, but it's going to be a little bit of a fight in the Missouri legislature, in the Missouri, the Missouri Senate. It won't go as easily as it went in the Missouri House of Representatives, where they were tripping over themselves to get this bill out of the House and to the Senate, even lowering the tax rate. Sorry, sorry. I, I agree. I agree. I, I was muted there for a second. What happened? Uh, I, I, I think I, I was muted for a second. Sorry. Okay. I, uh, there's there's oh, definitely I less. Of... I thought I thought that um, I was going deaf, and this was it. For me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just uh, I have a quick I have a quick hot button on my microphone where I can mute it, so it's it's easy for me to to secretly uh, mute it. But I, I, I agree. I, I think Kansas has a, a more smooth uh, transition possibility uh, with with the less licenses and and the um, and the higher uh, tax. Uh, Rate. So before we transition to New York, uh, I, I think that's that's everything we've got. Keep an eye out for Kansas and Missouri in the next coming months here. Um, but before we, we jump to New York, which there's a lot going on in New York and for uh, on the concept of, of New York um, sports gambling, but also the Buffalo Bills, I, I just want to remind our, our listeners here. Our viewers, because this is going to be the video, the video aspect of it on YouTube. Um, we have a, a sponsor, Underdog Fantasy Sports. Um, it's a super easy to use app. Uh, I downloaded it. I was looking at some of the um, some of the best ball. It, they have some interesting concepts working with fantasy football, where you can kind of draft a team and you don't have to set your lineups. There's no trades. There's no waivers. Uh, whoever has the most points of that week is de- dedicated. At, you know, is uh, determined to be your starter. It's super super easy. You can create private. Uh, accounts, right? So, so uh, there might be a little uh, competition between the conduct detrimental team. We can do a private uh, fantasy for three bucks, six bucks, ten bucks, whatever we want to put in for for uh, rivalry between us. But um, I, I really, I was just going through the app, and it's definitely super easy to use. It's very comprehensive. They have FAQs where you can go through and kind of figure out what their what their games are, their prop bets. Like I said, the best ball with the uh, the fantasy sports. They've got basketball, hockey, uh, MLB and NFL, all that. Um, but the big thing here is uh, if you sign up now with the code CONDUCT, C-O-N-D-U-C-T, um, then you will get a free match uh, for your first deposit. So if you, do, if you, and it's up to $100. So if you deposit $100, they'll match your deposit $100. So you'll have $200 to work with. Uh, again, that's, fa- that's underdog fantasy. And if you use the code CONDUCT uh, when you log in and create your account, uh, they'll match up to $100 of your deposit. So um, definitely go check out underdog fantasy you know what they have behind them you know I, i've been in the sort of the fantasy space for about seven years you know going back to maybe 2014 actually eight years uh jeremy levine you know runs the company and he's he's established a couple of daily fantasy sports companies he's a veteran of the industry and they've got mark cuban as an investor um uh, i think kevin durant mark uh jared goff i mean this is this is really a rising company in the space and you know we're thrilled uh, to have them as a sponsor of conduct detrimental and as a sponsor of of you know sports betting you know industry uh you know podcast uh they're 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 just really a rising company in the space and you know just really really uh fascinating uh product diverse uh you know list of different types of contests but importantly they're not you know they're not this new company that just arrived they have serious dfs uh, veterans uh who've started successful companies and 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 serious investors i mean mark cuban and kevin duran i think that speaks for itself so welcome aboard to the conduct detrimental family and it was also my favorite cartoon as a child 
Remember? Uh, that's probably underdog. Probably yeah. Does it? Do you, did you ever hear of Underdog? I've definitely heard of Underdog. Yeah, they definitely have done remakes of Underdog as well. There's been a few cartoons of Underdog that I've seen growing up. Yeah, certainly, but it, certainly. But you know, in in the sports world, Underdog, you know, has a specific connotation. It's a you know, betting and rooting for the underdog. It's a great yeah. name for a fantasy company. So anyway, with that out of the way. Uh, we can talk about it again a little later, but with that out of the way, let's go to the big kahuna on the list, which is the great state of New York, my home state, where I was born. I grew up in Forest Hills, moved to Flushing, lived in East Meadow in Long Island. Sports betting was never on the drawing board, except for one time when I lived in New York, back in the early 80s. New York State Governor Mario Cuomo wanted to have uh, sports betting made available, single game sports betting being made available as a lottery game. And so in the early 1980s, he floated this proposal uh, to have the New York State lottery run sports betting. And New York would have been the second state in the country to have uh, operated single game sports betting. It would have been Nevada and then New York and New York would have had a monopoly on the East Coast and what ended up um, scuttling that was an adverse uh, attorney general opinion from the state attorney general in, in the early 1980s. I forgot his name, but he issued a, a pretty damning opinion, which said that the lottery is supposed to be reserved for games of chance. And he suggested very strongly that any legalization of sports betting through the lottery would run afoul of the New York state constitution. So it lied sort of it was forgotten about for many, many years until the casino gambling amendment in 2013 when the, when the electorate approved casino gambling at no more than seven facilities and the state legislature at the same time uh, passed implementing legislation which included sports betting as a form of casino gambling in New York state. So we've come a long way from 1984 to 2013, unfortunately, not on my watch when I lived in New York State. So uh, going from 2013, there was no online sports betting at the time because when PASPA was overturned, the original sports betting law that was introduced and passed as part of the casino gambling implementing law only allowed for brick and mortar sports betting. So between 2018 and 2021, you really had only retail slash brick and mortar sports betting. And finally, uh, the state legislature with the acquiescence of then New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo agreed on a framework that would bring competitive bidding to uh, New York for online sports betting. And instead of having a tax rate in the low teens, like many other states do for online sports betting, Governor Cuomo would only relent and acquiesce to online sports betting if it could be done where the state shares in the revenue. And that's why we ended up with the current framework with nine operators uh, awarded through competitive bidding and a tax rate of 51% that was based upon a bidding, uh, you know, a bidding process where you put your best foot forward and the State Gaming Commission chose the companies that were amenable to paying the highest tax rate. And at 51%, every, every, I don't think people realized when it first came out, people were like, wow, 51% is unbelievable. But New York was such a high value untapped market that these, these 
companies coming in, you know, BetMGM, uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, they didn't care because the money that they were going to get, and it showed because January was the first month that they came through and they, they had tens of millions of dollars of revenue, even after giving 51% to New York State. And New York State saw that. Uh, and now where we currently sit, as an update here, right? We, we have the, the legalization, we've got the nine operators uh, and we have 51% tax rate for, for each of the operators. We have a sliding scale now. Gary Pretlow um, has uh, proposed a bill that would amend this to have a sliding scale of the number of operators as it relates to the tax revenue uh, per operator, right? So I'm just gonna read off of it that, that this is directly from his bill. We have a sliding scale starting as low as four to five operators, which would be a 64% uh, tax rate. And then you have six operators with 62%, seven drops to 60, eight goes to 58, nine being the 51, which is where we're currently at, nine with 51. Uh, and then it goes lower from there. So 10 to 12, it would be 50%. 13 to 14 would be 35%. And then the lowest would be 15 or more licenses. And then that would be a tax rate of 25%, which is where we see more of the precedent uh, with other states, the 25, but 15 licenses. But it's not just the tax rate, uh, Michael. There's a, The tax rate is tied to a specific number of operators. I think the bill, the, the budget bills that had been proposed by Senator Joseph Adabo Jr., a former guest or past guest on Conduct Detrimental, by, by Assemblyman Gary Pretlow, and even by uh, new governor Kathy Hochul, uh, contemplated or at least would mandate a minimum of 16 operators by January of 2024. So this is both uh, an increase in the number of online sports betting operators, ultimately from nine to 16, and a decrease in the tax rate all the way down to 51%. The problem with this decrease is that the Senate and the governor are, don't see eye to eye with Assemblyman Pretlow, I believe, on that possibility. And there's some disagreement between the, the three key players as to whether there's going to be any reduction of tax rate. The problem is once you once you introduce a tax rate and all this money is coming in. And by the way, I disagree that the operators are making all this money because they're, you know, they're not getting uh, deductions for, for free bets or promotional bets. So in terms of like a, a, you know, a net, when the dust settles, they're making a lot less money than what might otherwise seem apparent based upon tax collections because they're basically paying, uh, they're not able to write off promotional play or free credits or prizes for creating accounts. So they're paying, paying taxes on that. And uh, in reality, they may not be making much money at all, or as some reports have suggested, they might actually even be losing money. So the recent amendments that have been proposed by, uh, I think, Pretlow and or Adabo would be to have uh, promotional bet write-offs to allow the sports betting companies to actually pay tax on their real revenue and not on phantom revenues. Uh, and, the re and, and the reason we're focusing on New York now, Michael, is that while the state legislative session ends in June, on June 2nd, all this stuff, all these ex the expansion of the number of licenses, the reduction of the tax rate, these are kind of spending and revenue measures they ordinarily go in as part of the New York's, the official New York state budget, which is due on April 1st. It's now April 3rd, by the way. Last year, when online sports betting was finally approved 
uh, by the state legislature and signed into law by Governor Andrew Cuomo, you know, sort of at the 11th hour of his of his governorship, that was done as part of the New York State budgetary process. So in order for these sweeping changes to occur to the New York sp online sports betting law, they would have to go in as part of the state budget. And April 4th, uh, from what I've read in the New York Times and other sources, is the absolute drop dead date by which the state budget has to be agreed upon by the governor in, in both, both houses. And I think based on what I've been reading, and there's a terrific report from Play New York, which is an online publication, Mike Mazeo, the, the writer who's been following the story, he spoke to Assemblyman Pretlow, and he said there's absolutely no chance that the tax rate is going to be dropped as part of the state budget process because Governor Hockle uh, opposes it. And I think even the Senate Budget Committee opposes it. They're, they're, they're rolling in all this money from state tax collections. Do they want to give that up now voluntarily? I think Pretlow and Adabo originally had championed a very low tax rate of like 13, 14% for online sports betting. But now that the state is, is awash in all these state tax collections, it's a different story entirely to basically give the money back. I think what's likely to happen is that it won't take place. It, it's been called by Mike Mazeo's article quotes Gary Pretlow is saying that it's a long shot. It's not going to happen as part of the state budget process. So if it doesn't happen in the budget process, that means it's not going to happen in the uh, remainder of the legislative session, which, end, which ends on June 2nd. So what's achievable in the state budget? What is achievable is that the focus is going to be on, on the placing or the siting of downstate casino licenses. And in 2013, when the New York uh, voters approved casino gambling at no more than seven facilities, uh, only the, the statute implementing that constitutional amendment only provided for four locations and saved the three downstate licenses for 2023, which means that New York City doesn't have any casinos until 2023. So what's gonna, what's gonna arise or ensue out of the New York State budget, which is approved on Monday, will likely be an acceleration of the timeline for the siting of casinos in New York City, and which means that we could have an RFP process and the New York State Gaming Commission will award three new casino licenses for downstate New York uh, within the next year. I think that's where the focus is gonna be, at least on the issue of gambling expansion within the New York State budget. Well, just just to, uh, to to go off of what we were talking about before, it appears that Pretlow and Adabo are the underdogs of the legislative process of New York here, and what they want to do to expand sports gambling. I think you're right. I think you're right. We're going to see an acceleration of these three licenses in New York City. However, it's coming not without opposition. I mean, there there are New York City borough presidents. Uh, you know, I think it was uh, Coney Island was a, a possibility um, of having one of these locations, and and the the borough president was against it. He says it's, it's going to, it's going to cause way too much traffic. The infrastructure is not ready for it. They, they were, they were not prepared uh, for this acceleration process because I, I guess 2023 is what they were looking at. I, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. I, they they there's don't have a, real, Michael, there's only one real open license as far as I'm concerned. You know, there are two, there are two sort of Racinos video lottery terminal facilities that have the sort of upper hand in getting at least two of the casino licenses. You have resorts world at aqueduct. Right they're going to get one of the casino licenses because they're already operating casino style gaming and they've made a substantial infrastructure investment. And uh, they're the likely, likely candidate to get one of those three casino licenses. And then there's also the MGM facility at the old Yonkers Raceway. You've got uh, a downstate, a perfect downstate location that's on the border of New York City 
right. operated by one of the preeminent local casino operators, uh, the likelihood of MGM getting one of those three licenses is about as close to 100% as you're getting. So what we're really talking about is one open license that will be um, this, this competition between companies like Las Vegas Sands, Bally's, and you know who knows what other companies. And there's all this speculation that- Barstool Sports? Maybe Barstool, maybe a Penn National, maybe you okay. could have a, a New York City casino in the borough of Manhattan. I, I don't see that, how that could be done because of the you know lack of you know available space right. and all the environmental considerations. Uh, but Steve Cohen, who has been known to have a few you know dollars to uh, <laughs> you know, sign pictures and, and is you know known for the Steve Cohen tax, which is much better than being known for the Steve Cohen Memorial Bridge. Uh, I believe he's partnering with a casino company to have a a bid uh, for, you know, a casino facility adjoining, you know, the, you know, sort of the Mets property. And then you have the New York Islanders owners who have this like, you know, facility in, in, in Belmont, the Belmont Park area. So what we're looking at in actuality are probably the outer lying boroughs and Long Island, maybe not even Brooklyn. We're talking about Queens and Long Island as probably being the front runners for having that third downstate casino license. And I would think given the proximity to uh, Manhattan, I would have to favor uh, the Steve Cohen bid or the New York Islanders bid or anything within the borough of Queens, because I think Long Island, while it's nice to have uh, representation in, my, in, my, in, in, in the you know, location where I was raised, there's just not enough of a population center and there is not enough visitation to keep those casinos vibrant. Uh, I think the best location would be somewhere accessible from Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Westchester, New Jersey, Staten Island. I think you got to place this somewhere in either Queens or Brooklyn. And the facilities in Queens look like, you know, the most likely front runners for that third casino license. If we're going to operate under the assumption that MGM is getting one of the licenses and Resorts World at Aqueduct is getting the second license. So all this ties into sports betting because the focus of, of the governor and on the state legislative body, the priority is to accelerate casino licenses, sports betting, uh, moder modifications, and iGaming, I think are gonna be you know, teed up in, in the 2023 budget, not so much the 2022 budget, but what could get done during the remainder of this legislative session in New York on the issue of sports betting is to advance governor, uh, is to advance Senator Adabo and Assemblyman Pretlow's bill to bring mobile sports betting kiosks to professional sports venues, off-track betting locations, horse race tracks, auto raceways. And uh, I think there was another category I left off. There's a separate bill aside from the online sports betting licensing increase that would extend the, the online sports betting you know, framework to allow mobile kiosks at these high population, high visibility venues to really build up New York's you know, online sports betting handle. And I think having uh, kiosks in places where, where teams play games can introduce sports betting much more easily to millions of consumers that go through the turnstiles every day that may not otherwise be inclined to open up an account with any of the traditional online sports betting companies. I think that's a bill that can clear the legislature in the post-budget session that remains until June 2nd. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a no-brainer. That's kind of easy. 
to to exactly the way you just put it. It's that's easy to implement. Put it with. I know pro teams would be definitely in favor of that. Just having kiosks. I'm just thinking uh, logistically in in New York. I can imagine that whole front hallway there, the grand gates of four and six. You can just line them up right along that wall there. why is that any different than a mobile phone? I mean, the New York Constitution yeah. requires gambling to take place at the casino facility, but under, under state law, it's been recognized in New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, West Virginia, and Michigan that under state contract law theories, the location of where, where the bed is accepted is where the bed is deemed to be made. Right. So if New Yorkers can bet on their mobile devices in Southampton, Long Island, on their mobile devices, on their cell phones, a mobile kiosk or, or, or a kiosk which is uh, connected via you know, computer networks to yep. the uh, servers located upstate works along right. the same theory. And exactly. this, this is different than the Seminole Tribe of Florida's issue in the federal court system. They tried to operate um, online sports betting through the fiction that the location of the server is where the bet takes place. But the federal statute governing gambling on Indian lands makes pretty crystal clear that it actually physically literally has to take place on Indian lands. And federal courts have rejected the notion that the server location is the sort of sine qua non of where the bet takes place. And that as long as any of the gambling activity takes place outside of Indian land, it violates IGRA. State authorization under state law principles, not governed under a federal tribal framework, uh, has accepted the notion, court rulings, and just the, you know, the way horse race wagering works in New York. I mean, online gaming, iGaming in New Jersey operates under the same premise, that even though the state constitution restricts gambling to Atlantic City, the, the legislature was able to successfully authorize iGaming by statute without amending the state constitution because the server processing the bet is located in Atlantic City. That's perfectly permissible under state contract law. So the adverse outcome in the Seminole Tribe of Florida compact case that's pending in the federal court of appeals, that's governed by a different set of legal principles. I I think... I think just to, to circle back to what we're looking forward to here. So tomorrow is the deadline. Tomorrow's the budget, right? That's what we're going to see any of these accelerations for these licenses, the mobile kiosks of, of Pretlo and uh, no, no, there, won't be any mo- there won't be any mobile kiosks tomorrow. That's been the focus. If you're reading any of these articles, a funny headline in the New York Post, it's all about casinos, bail, and the Buffalo Bills. Right. Nowhere in any of the headlines or, or you know, recent uh, articles about where, where New York is in the budget process, no one's talking about uh, mobile kiosks. And the train has left the station on uh, additional mobile online sports betting licenses and a reduction of the tax rate. That's not going to happen as part of the budget. So the prediction is an easy one because Gary Pretlow has already said that it's a long shot. And with only one true day left in the New York budgetary process, uh, modifications to online sports betting are not in the works, will not happen. We're just going to have to wait and see whether there's some minor modification to the online sports betting law to fold in all these other stakeholders like the teams, OTBs, and the racetracks, whether that can happen 
prior to the end of the legislative session in June outside of the budgetary process, because that's really the only the only real chance of any change uh, this year in New York State. So let's let's talk Buffalo Bills. So so tomorrow anyway. is, is 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 the budget is the budgetary uh, ruling of the New York State's budget, and we've heard a lot, like you just said, a lot of the headlines is Buffalo Bills. Uh, and their tie-in with the public funding, the public amount of money that's going towards their proposed $1.4 billion new stadium build. So uh, what we have proposed uh, was originally, I believe the state said that they would they would um, go a- around the area of $500 million, And then the um, the Buffalo Bills ownership, the Pagulia family, they said that they would they want uh, upwards of 850 million dollars of public funding. Again, the total amount would be 1.4 billion um, for their new their new stadium. So tomorrow is going to be a, a very key budget bill that incorporates how much money Governor Hochul is going to allow for public funding for the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Pagulias, uh, and, and I'll kick it to you in a second, Dan, have threatened to leave New York. Or, or not go anywhere if they don't have public funding for this stadium build. However, the issue with that too. So we'll talk about their their um, we'll talk about their stadium their stadium lease, which goes until the the end of twenty twenty three. But July twenty twenty three. That's July twenty twenty three. Critical um, date because they could seek to relocate as early as the. Um, 2024 NFL, 20, I'm sorry, 2023 NFL regular season, but that's a practical matter. That's too close to the expiration of the lease uh, in order to go through a relocation and to justify it and to have local public meetings and to consider local interests. What we're likely looking at, assuming a worst case scenario, would be a, a relocation for the 2024 NFL season. And by the way, that's not too far away. Right, right. But, but the issue too is the Pagulias also own the Buffalo Sabres. Right. So are they going to are they going to leave the Sabres there and then leave and then kick the team to a team? I don't know. St. Louis. Where do they where do they go from here? Well, they're not they're not relocating just yet. But understand right. that if uh, the peculiar the peculiar Pagulas, who, by the way, were the first ones to uh, you know get rid of stadium workers and arena workers at the onset of the pandemic, they're, they're like multi-billionaires who've made all this money from fracking. Right. So you know, they're not exactly, you know, these like wonderful corporate citizens. It's worth seven you know, they, billion dollars. Yeah. They, they were the first ones to jettison all these like minimum wage and low wage arena workers who depended on these jobs for a, you know, for a standard of, for some standard of living. And uh, they unhesitatingly jettisoned all these people at the first sign of trouble during the pandemic. They've also sued their insurance companies for, COVID-related losses from not having the arena full. So they're not exactly uh, the most wonderful, uh, you, you know, local citizens that are going to put community interest over self-interest. Now, if you don't think the threat of relocation is real, consider what happened in St. Louis. Uh, by relocating uh, from a lower ranked market in terms of a te- television size, they went from like 22 or 23 to the second largest market, what Stanley Kroenke did was he increased the net, he increased the valuation of his franchise by $3 billion. And he didn't have to fork out a lot of money for a stadium. So he got two huge benefits, uh, a free stadium, or he got, he got a publicly financed stadium. I think he did. I mean, I don't know what the, 
what, what the contribution, oh, wait a second. I, I might be wrong. I think he did pay for a significant part of the stadium financing in LA, but he got, he got, a, he got a bump of $3 billion in the value of the Rams franchise. What would happen with the Pagulas and the Bills, if they go to a city like Austin or if they go, they go anywhere else, it's going to be a larger market. The, the net worth of the team will rise by at least a billion dollars. And some municipality is going to give them a free stadium. So why wouldn't they consider that? The Buffalo Sabres? So they'll sell the team. They'll sell the team. Um, and, and that's why I, if I was a Buffalo Bill fan, I'd be very worried. If I was from Buffalo, I'd be very worried about this process probably uh, potentially getting derailed. I think Governor Hockle is trying to do the right thing here just because she's from Buffalo. I don't think she's trying to be uh, uh, preferential to Buffalo interests. She's trying to save the remaining, the one and only NFL team that remains in the state of New York. But to be fair here, the level of contribution and public financing in this instance would be the highest ever that's been given to an NFL franchise or any professional sports team. Breaking, the, breaking it down, it'd be $850 million of public money, 600 of which comes from the state budget, 250 million from Erie County. By contrast, the NFL and the Bills contribution jointly, meaning it's not going to be the Bills paying their own share, it's going to be the Bills and the NFL contributing $500 million jointly, which means that the public contribution is almost two times the amount of the private contribution and contrast that to Tennessee, where the Titans ownership is willing to put up $700 million for stadium upgrades in contrast, or maybe even a new stadium in contrast to only a $500 million contribution from the state of Tennessee. So using that as a benchmark, uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, public financing uh, amount seems a bit disproportionate and a bit excessive and obscene given how wealthy these owners are. But what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to just allow a team. You know how the NFL operates. If they want a relocation to occur, if the owner wants to relocate, there's like a thousand, the batting average is a thousand. When was the last time that an NFL team was denied relocation under the existing relocation guidelines where admittedly and where everybody understood the reason for relocating had nothing to do with lack of local support. It had everything to do with chasing the almighty buck. And within the NFL relocation guidelines, it explicitly says that, uh, you know, the economic leaving for a better opportunity isn't a sufficient justification for relocating. Yet every team that has moved has, you know, let, let's face it, every team that's moved has gone on uh, and, 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 and chased the greener pastures as the primary reason. So if, 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 Buffalo, if, Pagula, if the Pagulas want to take the team out of Buffalo, they're probably not going to face a lot of resistance from the NFL. And then what does the city of Buffalo have as, a, as their consolation prize? They're going to get a lawsuit. They're going to sue for damages. I mean, we see how, that, how far that got the city of St. Louis. They had everything going in their favor. They won battle after battle in the, in the, in the St. Louis city court system. They, they, they withstood motions to dismiss, motions to compel arbitration, motions for summary judgment. And at the end of the day, they didn't get their team back. They got $790 million as a lump sum settlement. So if you're sitting in Kathy Honkel's position, or if you're sitting as a, as a Buffalo resident, would you rather have your team? Oh, would you rather have $800 million? And 
I think anybody who understands the perpetual appeal and the revenues direct and indirect that are created by having an NFL franchise, I think understand full well that this is an investment that the state of New York has to make in order to keep their NFL team. Because if you don't do it, well, then there's only one more legislative session next year to get this done during the budget before the lease expires. And once the lease expires, that will open the door to a potential relocation. And, and I have to think that it's in the state's best interest to preserve their only NFL franchise. I mean, I have issues not only as to the amount of the money and the contribution by the team ownership, but the location of the new stadium in Orchard Park is a head scratcher to me. I think if you're going to revitalize Western New York and you're going to add value to the city of Buffalo, you should put, you should put the stadium in, in a location downtown uh, in Buffalo that's going to have all these economic uh, you know, momentum drivers to spur development in the surrounding area, uh, bring trade conventions and restaurants and nightlife and all this business activity to the city to really create a major metropolitan center. I think, I think you got to focus on, 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 on downtown Buffalo, but the, the studies that have been commissioned by the team and by the state of New York, I think they're focused exclusively on Orchard Park, which I believe is a mistake. So now you're left with the question, do you fund it? Do you include it in the state budget? Because if you don't, and if you don't do it this year, if you don't do it next year, the team's going to leave. Yeah, I, I just think the the major pushback is is the first, one of the first things you said was that this would be the largest publicly funded NFL. And and the other thing is too is the Buffalo Bills of late have been very good, have been a playoff bound team the, the last few years. If they weren't as good, do you think that this the situation is the same that they're asking for this amount of public funding? Right? They, no, no, definitely not, Dave. Josh Allen, they're going to win Super Bowls, right? Oh, exactly. Think all, yeah, think of all the teams that have relocated that have won Super Bowls, right? The Cleveland, the woe begotten Cleveland Browns under Art Modell, uh, you know, with the fumble and all these failures during the 1980s, they moved to, to Baltimore and now they win Super Bowl, right? Super Bowls. Um, the St. Louis Rams. They will. They won a Super Bowl in St. Louis, but now they also won one in Los Angeles. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are going to win multiple Super Bowls during Josh Allen's uh, career. And while eight hundred and fifty million dollars, and by the way, New York State's contribution or portion of that is not the full eight fifty. It's six hundred million, which is pretty much on par, or just incrementally slightly larger than what the state of Tennessee will contribute to the Titans. Uh, stadium development. So uh, when you think about what happened with the city of St. Louis and the arbitration, there was an arbitration ruling in 2013, where the arbitrators uh, determined that to maintain the dome as a first tier stadium, uh, the city of St. Louis or the St. Louis region, you know, the county, the city, the stadium authority, they would have to come up with, I forgot what the number was, but it was somewhere around seven, 800 or so million in improvements, they declined to do that and they lost the team. And if the St. Louis um, policymakers could go back in time to 2013, I think they would have written that check to keep the St. Louis Rams. And I fear that if New York State doesn't come through here this year and next year, a similar thing is gonna happen. And what complicates this process is that in other states where maybe the cities provide you know, sort of the, the public financing here, this has to go through the state 
legislative process. And there are, there are lawmakers in other parts of the state, you know, like New York City, Queens, Brooklyn, Long Island, who don't give a shit about the Buffalo Bills. So the fortunes of the Buffalo Bills stadium financing is really going to be at the uh, whim of lawmakers in other regions of the state who could give two wits about whether the Buffalo Bills stay or go. And it's really going to be, it's going to really be incumbent upon Governor Hockle to really sell this and, 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 and do a little bit of trading here to ensure that a majority of lawmakers approve the inclusion of $600 million of state money, or alternatively, she's got to go back to the bills next year and say, hey, you know, it failed in 2022. In order to have a shot at 2023 before your lease expires, can you bump up the NFL slash team contribution above 500 million and maybe bring it maybe the 700, six, $700 million so that next year I can go back to the state legislature with a more reasonable, balanced, private slash public proposal. Yeah, I, I think, just, and again, just to wrap this all into to one, what, what, what do you see happening tomorrow? New York's, uh, they're already expired. It was supposed to be April 1st. Now we're going to be April 4th uh, with the New York State budget bill here. Do you foresee uh, an agreement coming down yes. where- 850 million is going to be publicly funded. Yes, I do. And here's why. Uh, there are other issues that are being paired with uh, the bills. The bills are not the number one issue in the New York state budget. Bail reform, downstate casino uh, acceleration. There are all these other issues that are being shoehorned into the state budget. So if Governor Hockle, uh, you know, makes some you know, deals and, and is amenable to making some modifications and inclusions of some other issues that are important to state lawmakers downstate, I don't see any reason why a majority of the assembly and the Senate wouldn't approve the, the $600 million earmark uh, for the Buffalo Bills because the price of getting this wrong, the cost of not doing it is the loss of an NFL franchise, which would leave New York State without any professional football teams. And uh, a team is worth a lot more than $850 million or $600 million. The um, value created by having an NFL team, whether it be in Orchard Park or Buffalo, uh, with all the spending and ticket revenue and taxes and all the other related indirect economic activity, it's worth billions to a region. And I think this is an investment that the city, that the state of New York needs to make in order to keep the team. I don't have to like the deal and I hate this deal, but it's a necessary evil to keep the team because uh, the NFL has shown itself to be uh, a sieve when it comes to enforcing the NFL relocation guidelines. And with the exception of the St. Louis court system, lawsuits challenging relocations have not really achieved much success, uh, you know, at least not in California. So you're playing a very dangerous game here of swapping uh, an NFL team to save $800 million and to get a cause of action in court that may or may not win years from now. That's bad business for the state of New York. And I hate the Pagoulas for it. And I wish, uh, I wish the governor would have negotiated a better deal, but better to fund this than to lose the bills because you will lose the bills without any public contribution, without yeah. a significant public contribution. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's going to have to happen for for the bills to. I think it's an empty threat. I think for them 
to to this early say that they're going to leave or, or start exploring op, uh, options for relocation just because July 2023 is their uh, expiration of their current lease. So I, th- but look I at think the track record, look at all these other precedents, the Chargers, the Raiders, the New York Islanders leaving Long Island. Um, you know, these are not empty threats. The conversion rate on pro sports franchise threats of leaving are, are you know, they're way above the Mendoza line. And uh, I, I just don't I just don't think this is a, a game of chicken that Buffalo no, or the, the Erie County or the region or the state of New York can play here, given what an NFL franchise means economically as well as spiritually to a state and to a city. And I think if we tie in the sports gambling aspect too, say mobile kiosks end up oh, at that's, the that's, Buffalo Bills. That's kind of like, uh, you know, I'd rather have a sports betting license. I'd rather, I, if, I, if I were relocating a team, I'd be going to Texas. I'd be going to Arizona, Maryland, uh, Ohio, a team which grants sports teams control over an online sports betting license. And I think Texas is going to be very appealing to any would-be NFL team relocator because there are no casinos, there are no horse race tracks, and you've only got to, you only have to share the state with the other sports teams. And unlike Missouri, which is going to be saturated with online sports betting licenses, a small state that's going to have 39 licenses, no one license or online skin is going to generate, you know, nearly the same kind of uh, revenues that having an online sports betting license in Texas would generate. That's the second largest state in the country after California It would be a license to print money. So I know Jerry Jones is going to, you know, resist and fight with all of his might, any efforts for a team to move to San Antonio or Austin, but he's got other problems right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I look at Austin and San Antonio as potentially attractive uh attractive opportunities for an nfl team to relocate because from sports betting licenses if you have your online and in stadium sports book license that would be at least in texas a guaranteed revenue stream of probably in excess of 20 million dollars a year uh over a 20-year period probably in excess of half a billion dollars of like found money uh probably a lot higher than that so the threat is real, Michael. It's very real. No, I, I, I think it, it's a, it, what you said before. It's a necessary evil, uh, and it's not a great deal, but it's something that's going to keep the bills here for at least, what would it be, third, the next 30 years? Um, so it, it's definitely something to, to maintain New York's sole NFL team. Um, so it, it's definitely, it's definitely um, necessary. And we talked – so I, I think – I think wrapping back into the budget bill, I think a tie-in here, you mentioned it before and I was going to say it, but now it's a perfect segue into what we're about to talk about. You talked about the 2021 New York state budget bill. Or, uh, tw- yeah. 2021 where governor Cuomo includes the legalization of sports gambling. And now we have seen it spark as January 1st, it, it finally uh, became uh, legal and we saw massive, massive amounts. New York became the number one sports gambling uh, state in the country uh, in the first in just, month in, in the, the first, first month, month. That's in the crazy, first month right? that shows so, you the potential of the state exactly exactly and because of that um into the budget bill because cuomo included the legalization of sports gambling in the budget bill it sparked e, the white versus cuomo case that went all the way up to the court of appeals which we finally had a resolution uh just this month or this past month 
uh, of whether or not daily fantasy sports, uh, the crux of it was whether daily fantasy sports was a game of chance or a game of skill and whether or not the court of appeals had the authority to overturn a legislative ruling, a legislative determination on the legalization of sports gambling. Uh, and we, we see well, that legalization of daily fantasy. Uh, sports. I, sorry. I, I correct. Yeah, correct. Let's, of daily let's, fantasy sports. It was, it was only, it was only on the daily fantasy sports, but whether, uh, it was a game of skill in which the Court of Appeals ruled down that daily fantasy sports um, is now a game. Of, not is now. They've ruled it is a game of skill and not a game of chance. And thus, it is not a violation of the New York State Constitution, uh, which would have required a constitutional amendment and a vote of the people in order to overturn. Yeah, here's the real game changer, right? The lower courts, the intermediate appellate court and the trial court applied the New York State Penal Code statutory test of what constitutes gambling in New York. And under this you know, sort of middle test, which falls in the continuum between any chance and predominance, uh, it was a lower gambling threshold. And uh, the court found that um, chance played a sort of a material role in determining the outcome of the contest. And then on, on top of that, um, the contestants in DFS contests were not the real contestants, the real you know, performers, the real performers were the real life professional athletes gaining the yards, catching the touchdown passes, throwing the touchdown uh, passes as well. And there was, a, the, the, there, was a, there was a parallel contest. So the DFS contestants in the view of the lower courts were tantamount to people betting on somebody else's performance. And what changed at the New York Court of Appeals was that the Court of Appeals said you can't apply the you cannot apply the legislature's statutory test because that was created by the legislature. We have to follow uh, the, the 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 standard for determining or defining gambling that existed long before the New York legislature changed the definition. And on a constitutional level, we're going to apply the predominance test. And under that threshold, which is a higher threshold for, for what constitutes gambling, daily fantasy sports is a game of skill. And uh, what was equally important is that the, the, the court did not um, make its own findings as to whether DFS was a game of skill, but it, it deferred to the legislature's own findings and said the legislature considered these, these peer-reviewed studies, these surveys, and all these other data points and the legislature exercising its discretion made its own determination that DFS was a game of skill based upon all these other studies, and we're not going to disturb that finding. So it was really uh, a matter of what test was, was applied, as well as the deference to the legislative body in determining whether uh, DFS is a game of chance or a game of skill. And the, and, and the importance of this decision is twofold because it continues the recent precedent, which recognizes that daily fantasy sports predominantly involves skill rather than luck. And it follows on the heels of the Illinois Supreme Court's ruling in Du Becker versus Wu. I don't have the, you're gonna have to look that up yourself. I don't have the pinpoint site. But those two recent decisions, Illinois Supreme Court in 2020 and New York Court of Appeals in 2022, recognized DFS as a, a as predominantly involving skill. And it really, um, I think, can um, be influential 
in many other states where daily fantasy sports could ever potentially come into question legally, it, it really solidifies the legality of DFS coming from the, from the two most influential state courts in the country. Um, it, it's something that the industry can hang its hat on going forward, even as to disputes in other states. And then on a second level, what was really significant about this decision is uh, both the White decision and the Wu Becker, or the, the, the I don't know, is it Becker, the, the Illinois decision and the New York decision both recognize that daily fantasy sports contests are actual bona fide contests of skill between actual contestants. And they're not dependent, wholly dependent solely on parallel events taking place in stadiums and arenas across the country. It's its own unique actual contest. And that's an argument that has never truly succeeded before in the daily fantasy sports industry. And it can provide um, some powerful precedent for other types of skilled gaming operators to say, you know, if you're going to trade, you know, ha have competitions based on, you know, picking athletes and trading, trading any kind of skill competition between two people that is somewhat dependent on anything that happens in a sporting arena. Well, those are actual bona fide contests of skill in which we, the players, the contestants are the actual contestants. And that could open the door to all these innovative skill gaming platforms to avail themselves of the reasoning in these two New York, these two DFS court decisions, one in Illinois, one in New York, which both explicitly recognize that um, these are actual contests of skill between the direct contestants, almost like a hole-in-one golf tournament or a baking contest or a spelling bee. This is sort of the uh, it, it, it's, it's not the lead. The lead was, you know, DFS being legal, but I think the long-term impact could be opening the door to other types of skill gaming that seem like sports betting or seem like gambling that otherwise can avail themselves of the actual bona fide contest of skill exception. And I think that's my takeaway from the White versus Cuomo case. Yeah, I just have Two things to add, really. You mentioned the, the what you, what you were just talking about was the the game of skills determination. Um, I, I thought that what was interesting with the state's argument in favor um, of the of the fact that daily fantasy sports was a game of skill was the comparison to daily fantasy sports owners as general managers of professional sports teams. I watched both oral arguments: the oral argument in October of 2021 and the re-argument last month. And that was something that they really, really harped on was the fact that basically calling daily fantasy sports owners because of the skills that they need to use to make the proper determination on what player to play and where to play him and when to play him and who to trade for, that they were comparing those skills and that skill set to the, the likes of general managers of professional sports teams. So I thought that was an interesting comparison. Like you said, that that's never been done before, that that type so of comparison. It, it ties in everything that DraftKings and FanDuel have been saying all these years that I didn't necessarily agree with. Right. I, I, I for, you know, for, for a long time, I said, well, how do you get around the idea that you don't control or influence how these real life players perform? And because of that, it's gambling under the New York statutory definitional test for gambling. But what the Court of Appeals did here was follow or disregarded that test and say, we're going to apply sort of the consensus view or the, or the predominance test, because that's the test that's 
followed in most jurisdictions in the country. And before the New York legislature changed the standard from predominance to materiality, that's the standard that was followed under New York constitutional law. So my understanding of how to analyze this issue, I think probably wasn't the right analysis given that you have to evaluate it under a constitutional benchmark instead of a statutory benchmark. But I'm gonna say one other takeaway that I have here. It's not just opening the floodgates to all these other types of skill-based games to seek to be introduced in the New York market and, and, and you know, using the white versus Cuomo language to support their legality. I think what this does also is insulate online sports betting from potential constitutional attack because what the court made plain in this decision is that the legislature has a lot of deference for determining, refining and defining the contours for what constitutes permissible gaming in New York state, within right. the, sort of within the parameters of the state constitution. And the state constitution has you know, carve outs for casino gambling, horse race betting, charitable gaming, but all these exceptions give the legislature the authority, the explicit authority to prescribe and authorize the rules of the road for that type of constitutionally permissible gaming. So this was a decision about respecting legislative uh, decision-making and legislative discretion. And if, if were there ever to be a challenge to the online sports betting uh, regime, I think the White, Cuomo White versus Cuomo decision is, you know, would, would, would pretty much negate any potential lawsuit because of the legislative discretion that's built into the New York State Constitution and is recognized by the Court of Appeals in the White versus Cuomo decision, I think any potential challenge now has pretty close to a low level of success. And if it hasn't happened in the past year, it's probably not gonna happen at all. But this decision at least I think provides some comfort and security for those who even, for those few people who stay up at night and worry about these things, like I do. No, and my second point, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that what was it, what was such a key thing here was the fact that the Court of Appeals gave such high legislative deference under the New York State's Constitution. They they even cited saying that the legislature and their policymaking was the cause of the New York State Constitution. They codified the the rules of gambling under New York State's Constitution, and that's why they gave them deference to then go back and they said that they are the only ones that have the legislative process to go through and analyze what they have previously codified under the yep. New York State Constitution, and that they have the deference to then overturn it or redefine it or give more uh, specifics. Yeah, the truth is, you know, in all light, in all, you know, sort of candor, Michael, I watched the legislative hearings back in 2016, and it wasn't like a trial where all these peer-reviewed studies and analyses were subject to cross-examination. They were basically just cited on the House floor and the Senate floor, but that's the forum, and that's the sort of the, that's the legislative deliberative process of putting everything to a debate in a floor vote, and it may not have satisfied, you know, Fry, Daubert, you know, expert testimony type of stuff. There was no, you know, counter testimony provided by other experts. But the point is that the New York State Legislature had at its disposal all of these peer-reviewed studies and made the finding. We it may not have been the finding that resulted from years worth of analysis, but it was a specific finding, and and these materials were part of the legislative record. And that factual finding with, with, that, with those materials constituting the legislative record 
are going to be given deference by a judicial body. And that was the takeaway. And so not only does DFS win, uh, but it, it opens the door to other potential skill games, passing legal muster in New York, and it provides some kind of a sigh of relief for anybody who worries about mobile sports betting. And I think this decision accomplished those three things, and that's not insignificant. Definitely. Definitely. I, I agree. I, I think that this is a this is a very and we knew it was we knew it was going to be such a, a key mark issue uh, and a key mark ruling uh, coming down from the Court of Appeals. And there was so much. Uh, I mean, it was a split bench. It was one of the one of the justices in the Court of Appeals recused himself, uh, Justice Garcia. And then after that, um, there was a split bench three three. They needed to get a, a second department judge uh, LaSalle to come up and, and fill in the slot. And it, and even still, it was a four three decision. It was very close, and they knew it was going to be so. Um, definitely a big impact. So we went a little longer. Uh, we got this. Is like we're going to have to make this a three part episode. I know <laughs> this. This there was a lot to talk about here. There's a lot of issues that are, are pressing. We talked about you know Georgia and New York with the. The deadline being tomorrow, uh, Georgia, with their session ends in New York, they have their budget bill that has to pass by tomorrow. Um, and we, we, we hit on Kansas and Missouri and the rivalry that we're, see, we're going to see in the next com- couple of months with who's going to pass first and, and who's going to legalize and what's it, what it is going to look like. As well as tomorrow with the deadline with the budget, we're going to see what happens with the Buffalo Bills and their public funding. So we covered a lot, um, but but I I don't have anything else left. Do you have anything else left to say? Dan? I'm out of breath. I want to go to the gym. I want to. Oh my god, it's a it's a hell of a way to spend a Sunday. But it's one of my favorite topics. You know, two hours and how do we were we on for two hours? Now it was about an hour and a half. Hour, hour and a half. Yeah. But you know, we we covered a lot of ground here, and I think it was important that we did this episode on Sunday because by the time we would normally record Conduct Detrimental, Georgia and and the New York issues will already be decided. And I wanted to at least have an opportunity to give people uh, you know something to think about in advance of those decisions being made. And uh, you know, it, it looks like it's going to be a split result across those four states. But uh, going forward, I think as the legislative sessions advance and a number of other states. Uh, let's just keep doing this. I think the, uh, the, the there's certainly a lot to talk about in the sports gambling and daily fantasy sports space. So as the discussions move forward in other states, we will return with with a, with that with and without guests to break down some of these uh, legislative developments uh, for you. Okay, so thanks for joining us this week uh, on a, either a special edition of Conduct Detrimental or a new edition of Sports Betting Industry Roundup. We haven't come up with a name yet, but I hope you found our initial uh, show or foray into the world, of the, the, the deep dive into the world of sports gambling, a successful, you know, if long first effort. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And uh, if, if you have any questions, just drop, uh, you, you, can, you can drop into our, our DMs. You can contact Mike. Uh, Mike, what's your handle on Twitter? Yep. So my handle is Mike underscore son of underscore law. And Dan is at Twitter. That's at, an easy at, one to remember. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm wall at Wallach legal. You can slide into the DMS or you can email me at Wallach legal uh, at G at gmail.com. I'm the founding and sole member of Wallach legal LLC. My professional life and academic life revolves entirely around the regulated sports betting and gaming industry. So if you have any questions uh, or any need to discuss, you know, uh, wagering or sports betting or gaming issues, uh, you, you can reach out to me at any time. And Mike, for his own part, uh, was with the firm, is with the firm that litigated the daily fantasy sports case in New York, White versus Cuomo. Unfortunately, 
he represented uh, the plaintiffs slash respondents in the New York Court of Appeals case. And Mike, just like the New York Yankees of 1961, you tried valiantly, but you went down in, in seven. You lost three to four, and the uh, the edge went to the uh, to, to, to the new, to, to Governor Cuomo and to the New York State Legislature. So you came very close, but no cigar. But it was a valiant effort with two lower court victories and three votes at the New York Court of Appeals. Unfortunately, you needed four. Yeah, Neil Murray, the partner who handled the, the matter, uh, represented the plaintiffs in this. And like you said, the, the two lower rulings were in he's his favor. Lawyer, by the way, um, unbelievable. Lawyer. I mean, his 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 like sort of you know, he's a healthcare litigator, a healthcare practitioner, but he's carved out a niche of litigating all these constitutional disputes around gam- gambling expansion. Correct. Uh, this wasn't his first, you know, first you know rodeo. No. around challenging a gambling statute is unconstitutional. He's had a pretty decent track record in the New York courts going back, uh, you know, over a decade, even challenging the video lottery terminals. And just as with daily fantasy sports, he won in the lower courts, the intermediate appellate court, but lost ultimately in the New York Court of Appeals. Uh, but the, the man is just, you know, the go-to in terms of understanding the New York state constitutional prohibitions, restrictions, and entitlements around gambling. There's probably no stronger person in the state for understanding that complicated issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a wealth of knowledge, and, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to work, uh, work in the same office as him. All right. Well, well anyway, Mike, do you have anything left to, uh, to add before we uh, end our show and, and move on to the gym or anything else? No, no. We'll, we'll, just do a, we'll just do a quick predictor. Who do you have, Kansas or UNC tomorrow? Uh, I have, I have, uh, oh, that's tough. Uh, to be honest, I'm just following the NHL. I was rooting <laughs> for Coach K. I was rooting for Coach K to make yeah. it. So with Coach K out of the running, I mean, I guess I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, so I kind of want Hubert Davis uh, to, to win. But I think for a first-year coach taking over from Roy Williams, yeah, uh, he certainly wasn't chopped liver in year one. So win or lose. Uh, it was a great year for Hubert Davis. And again, we keep talking about our sponsor, Underdog. UNC is the underdog here, the eight seed against the one seed Kansas. So I, I've got uh, Kansas. Don't, I don't like get Kansas. Me started on North Carolina sports betting. They had a bill that was passed in one house of the <laughs> legislature last year. Can you imagine if that had been uh, finalized and been approved by the other chamber? You would have had the most insane betting day in North Carolina history to yeah. bet on the Duke. North Carolina game on Saturday, you know, last night, Saturday night, that would have been the most heavily wagered upon sporting event in the history of North Carolina. Probably you wouldn't even get a Super Bowl that generates that kind of betting activity. So lost opportunity, especially in Coach K's last year, but it's something that could at least be a conversation starter in North Carolina beginning in the middle of May when the state legislature reconvenes and decides whether or not to legalize online sports betting. So that's going to be a future conversation that we're going to focus on. So for Mike, for myself, for our team at Conduct Detrimental, Dan Lust and Taryn and Stephanie, uh, thank you for joining us on this special Sunday sports betting industry roundup. We hope you enjoy what's remaining of your weekend. And don't forget to tune in to Conduct Detrimental later in the week. We're going to have a good show as always. uh, And um, thanks for joining us today.